This episode was made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. For more information, please visit patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. I strive to make this podcast a safe and inclusive place for my listeners. If I've missed any content warnings, please let me know. Content warnings for this episode include mature themes, mind alteration, and casual ableism. There's also a brief jump scene where a character is seized from behind with a hand over their mouth, which some listeners may find triggering. Listener discretion is advised. You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 358. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I am Chris Lester, the creator of the Metamore City story universe. You can learn more about me and my work at chrislester.org and metamorecity.com. Each week, I bring you a taste of my fresh new fiction. I'll also tell you the latest on my life and my writing. More on that later in the show. But first, let's get to this week's story. Today, I'm bringing you Chapter 9 of Honor Reclaimed by L.C. Williams. If you're new to the show, go back to Episode 350 to hear this story from the beginning. The following recap will contain spoilers. Lord Bellevue and his family have been invited to a weekend retreat at a ski chalet in the mountains. The event was organized by Lord Bellevue's cousin, Lord Tyrrell, and Lord Drowling, a powerful member of the conservative faction in the Council of Peers. A large group of other councillors, mostly from the centrist coalition, have been invited as well. Tyrrell and Drowling have pitched this event as an escape from the stressors of the city and the political season, but there's an ulterior motive. Tyrrell intends to use the event to lobby the centrists to oppose Countess Harcourt's succession reform bill, which would allow women and androgynes to inherit noble titles on an equal standing with men. If the bill passes, Tyrrell's son Graham will be replaced as House Scion by Lord Bellevue's daughter, Honor. Both Lord Drowling and his wife are talented wizards who served the Empire in the last Great War, and they have not been shy about showing off their talents to impress their guests. Honor has come with Lord Bellevue to the Drowling Chalet, intending to do reconnaissance for Countess Harcourt. The Countess wants Honor to find out what arguments Lord Tyrrell is using to persuade the councillors in private, so she can develop an effective counter-argument. Harcourt's granddaughter, Lady Delphinia, has been sent as Honor's partner on the mission, though the two younger women got off on the wrong foot at the debutante's ball, and relations between them have been strained ever since. Delphinia began acting strangely almost as soon as they arrived at the chalet. She appeared extremely agitated, refused to eat or drink anything their hosts had provided, and threw a fit when one of Drowling's servants tried to remove her crucifix. She told Honor that it felt like something was crawling over her skin, trying to get inside her. Honor didn't feel anything like that, and concluded that the city-bred Delphinia was just homesick, and uncomfortable in the rustic setting of the chalet. That night, Honor had a strange dream about her future wedding. 
At first, she seemed to be getting married to noble Alex, the androgyne whom she's been courting. But then her partner transformed into someone new, an older gentleman, with a thick, full beard and gray eyes. She resisted this change, but the priest rebuked her, telling her that it was her duty to love, honor, and obey her husband. The next morning, Honor did not remember the dream, and she felt blissfully relaxed and at peace. Delphinia was missing from their bedroom, so Honor went down to breakfast alone. There she was chatting with some of the other young noblewomen when Lady Drowling herself sat down beside her. Honor took the lady's arms in greeting and noticed a dagger strapped to her forearm in a hidden sheath. She recognized it as an Arthana, the ceremonial casting tool of an air mage. She asked Lady Drowling if she always carried it with her, but then Drowling whispered something in her ear, and Honor forgot all about it. The lady then turned her attention to the entire group of young women and began teaching them a lesson about their duty to love, honor, and obey their husbands. Honor Reclaimed The House of Bellevue Book 3 By L.C. Williams Narrated by Vivian Ferrari Chapter 9 Attacked Honor was having such a wonderful time. The ladies had wrapped up their breakfast sometime around 10.30. While the maidservants cleared away the cups and dishes, the guests went back to their rooms and dressed for a day in the snow. Thick woolen coats and overskirts, fur-lined boots and mittens, knitted caps and scarves. Most of the guests had been well prepared for the outing. Winters in Metamore were long and cold, and everyone had known this trip would take them above the snow line but House Drowling generously provided extra gear for those who needed it. Honor bundled up and followed the crowd out toward the ski slopes. Along the way, they were rejoined by the gentleman coming from the main hall. "'There's my girl,' Lord Bellevue said with a grin, as they met at the convergence of two snow-packed trails. He embraced her warmly, as always, and kissed her forehead, before falling into step beside her. "'How's your room? Did you sleep well?' Everything is wonderful, Honor said, beaming up at him. I'm so glad we came. Father looked around, scanning up and down the line of guests before and behind them. His brow furrowed in puzzlement. Where's Lady Delphinia? I don't see her. I'm not sure, Honor admitted. She rose early and I didn't see her at breakfast. Perhaps she went to meet Cousin Graham back at the station. He said he hoped to ride in this morning. Maybe so, father said. His expression cleared. Ah, well, she's a grown woman. I suspect she can take care of herself. Honor frowned. Lady Drowling said that a lady should always be under the protective covering of a man. Her father, or an older relative, or a liege lord, or her husband. Leaving a woman to take care of herself was an abandonment of the gentleman's proper role as guardian. Father would surely know that. Of course, it was not Honor's place to challenge or correct him either. She kept her thoughts to herself. At the foot of the slopes, they met with another wondrous display of Drowling's wealth and power. 
A long line of towers extending up the mountainside, with steel cables strung between them. Enormous baskets, big enough to hold four people apiece with all their gear, hung suspended from these cables, and ran up and down the mountain in a continuous loop, like the world's biggest clothesline. Honor couldn't tell if the lift was being powered by a steam engine or by magic, but either way, it felt like a miracle. More of House Drowling's servants were waiting for them in a series of huts located near the lift. They fitted out their guests with skis and ski poles, then ushered them aboard the baskets and sent them sailing away, up into the sky. Honor watched in delight as they flew up the mountain, the buildings of the chalet shrinking behind them, distant peaks and gleaming glaciers coming into view as they rose ever higher. Breathtaking, isn't it? Honor had been so preoccupied with the beauty of their surroundings that she hadn't even noticed the man sitting across from her and father. She turned to look at him now, still grinning like an excited child. He was older than her, late thirties or early forties, with a thick, full beard that fell to the middle of his chest. Honor had the strangest sense that she had seen him somewhere before, although for the life of her she could not remember where. It is, she said, her eyes drawn back out to the jagged peaks on the horizon. I can hardly believe that we can just, just ride up a mountain like this, easy as you please. The man chuckled. <laughs> well, now it's easy. Building the lift in the first place was rather less so. Took us nearly five years, in fact. That made Honor turn and look at the man more closely. Yes, there it was, the house-drowling phantom enameled on the button of his breast pocket. Oh, forgive me, she said, ducking her head. I didn't realize you were one of our hosts. That was my error, Lord Bellevue said, at last tearing his own eyes away from the view. Honor, dear, this is Lord Anselm of House Drowling. Lord Anselm, my daughter, the Lady Honor. Honor extended her hand to Lord Anselm, palm downward. It's a pleasure to meet you, my lord. Anselm took Honor's hand and made a show of raising it to his lips, though he did not, in fact, kiss it, since Honor's hand was currently encased in a thick leather mitten. My lady, the pleasure is all mine. The Viscount introduced me to Lord Anselm last night, father said, and we had a lovely conversation over breakfast. He flashed a conspiratorial smile. It's too early to discuss specifics, but we thought the two of you might enjoy getting to know one another, in case it should prove fruitful. Honor felt her eyes grow wide. Father was entertaining another suitor for her? With his obvious affection for noble Alex, she had thought the matter of their courtship was all but settled. Oh, well. Honor turned back to Lord Anselm, considering him in a new light. Nothing about him stirred a fire in her. In truth, no man ever had. But Lady Drowling had taught her that a lady needed a husband, as surely as the fields needed the rain and the sunlight— it was the divine order of the universe. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you, as Eli had told the woman in the Garden of Paradise. Perhaps the feelings would come later, as she fulfilled her sacred duty. Lord Anselm at least had attractive eyes. They were the soft gray of winter skies, 
cool and steady and reassuring. They reminded her of... Well, she wasn't quite sure, actually. But it was someone she admired and trusted, she remembered that much. So she pushed back her doubts and hesitation, and showed both men another smile. If it was Father's will that she marry Lord Anselm instead of noble Alex, then she would be faithful to her duty. She was sure it would be all right in the end. After all, Father knew best. Honor spent the rest of the morning and a large portion of the afternoon in Lord Anselm's company. It was a beautiful day, bright and sunny and relatively warm for the altitude, and the slopes were gentle enough that even novice skiers like Honor had little trouble. Lord Anselm was agreeable enough company, courteous and soft-spoken, if a bit awkward. He was an architect for one of House Rowling's businesses— a construction company with many active projects in and around Metamore, and he seemed much more comfortable talking about his work than anything else. Honor made an offhand reference to visiting Townsend Tower, which launched him into a rapturous discussion of new building techniques and the future of urban design. Honor could not follow half of what he said, but he seemed to be happy, and she was content to let him talk while she enjoyed the scenery. Lady Drowling said it was important for gentlemen to know that their skills and expertise were respected, even if sometimes it meant they could be tedious. The house Drowling servants brought up their lunch to the huts at the base of the ski slopes, and Honor sat with Father, Lord Anselm, and a few of the other guests. Cousin Tyrrell came by to greet them, and showed them a rather restrained little smile when he saw Honor and Anselm side by side. He leaned in close to Honor's ear. "'Lord Anselm is a fine man,' he said. "'You'd do well with him, I think.' Honor still felt no trace of attraction to the man, but she tried not to let that trouble her. She smiled pleasantly up at Tyrrell and said, "'Thank you, cousin. I value your insight.' Tyrrell nodded in approval, patted her shoulders, and went on his way. Honor supposed he had much to do in preparation for the dinner tonight.' Father bade farewell to the younger guests after lunch, heading back to the lodge for a nap before dinner. Rather than return to the slopes, Lord Anselm suggested a walk in the nearby woods. Honor agreed, and while Anselm traded their ski equipment for snowshoes, she made a quick trip to the nearby outhouses. She'd had a considerable amount of coffee with breakfast, and then water and hot cocoa with lunch. She did not want the inevitable side effects to interrupt their walk. The Drowlings had constructed a line of four small shacks near the edge of the woods, about two hundred yards downslope from the ski huts. She had just completed her business and was exiting the outhouse, when someone covered her mouth with their hand and hauled her bodily into the trees. Honor screamed, but her assailant was wearing the same thick mittens that she was, and the thick fur and leather swallowed the sound. She fought and thrashed, trying to get away, but the snow was deep here, and the person holding her was much taller than she was. Terror gripped her heart in its claws and began to squeeze. Calm down, little puppy, a familiar voice hissed in her ear. You're making a scene. Again. Honor immediately went still, more from surprise than anything else. The mitten came away from her mouth. Delphinia, she asked. Obviously, Delphinia growled. She turned Honor around and looked her up and down, 
her eyes narrowed in apparent speculation. Are you all right? I am fine, Honor said, stepping back and brushing off some snow that had been kicked up by her struggles. Or I was, until you saw fit to scare me half to death. What are you doing? Where have you been all morning? Where have I been? Delphinia snapped. I have been trying to find out what in all the hills is going on here. Or did you forget that we were sent with a job to do? In truth, Honor had forgotten that. Their meeting with Countess Harcourt seemed like it had happened to someone else, long ago and far away. She knew it had seemed important at the time, but now it made her head hurt. She wanted to go back to having fun in the snow. She did not want to think about politics and secret missions. She shouldn't have to think about such things. She was a lady of a noble house. I've been inspecting the buildings all morning, Delphinia continued, lowering her voice. Anywhere I could get to without being seen. There are runes or sigils of some kind, carved into the walls. They've hidden them, behind paintings and tapestries and the like, but they're everywhere. The Drowlings are wizards, Delphinia, Honor said. Lady Drowling said that the buildings are warded for our protection. I know what a protective ward looks like, Delphinia said tartly. She reached inside her coat and pulled out her gaudy, over-large crucifix, then turned it over to show Honor the reverse side. The trunk and branches of the yew tree were covered with small arcane markings, all radiating out from a small core of brilliant silver-white metal that was embedded in its center. Mithril, Honor thought. It must be... Wizards used it to anchor their enchantments. With a mithril core, an amulet could last for years without needing to be recharged. That's beautiful, she said, the compliment coming from her lips unbidden. And practical, Delphinia said, tucking the crucifix away again. There are some wards on the buildings, but they've done much more than that. Patterns I don't understand at all. Is there a particular reason you should understand them? Honor asked. Did St. Gertrude's teach you magical theory, along with the etiquette lessons which you clearly slept through? Delphinia sighed. <sighs> Honor, just because I went to finishing school, like a proper lady, does not mean that is the only thing I have done. I am a fourth-degree apprentice in the Halvard School of Geomancy. So yes, there is a reason I should understand them, or at least recognize them. I can't tell what sort of magic they're working, but they have gone to an extraordinary amount of effort, and much of the work looks new, within the last month or so if I had to guess. I think this is part of the plan that Grandmother warned us about. Despite herself, Honor was impressed. She had never imagined that Delphinia might be a wizard, even a wizard in training. It required years of disciplined practice and study, not just innate talent. From the little honor had seen of her, she had not thought Delphinia would be interested in such things. She was vain and vindictive and upsettingly pretty, and clearly more intelligent than honor had given her credit for, and honor did not want there to be anything else about her to admire, because she had very good reasons to hate Delphinia, and she wanted to go on hating her without feeling so conflicted about it.
Have you noticed anything peculiar since we got here? Delphinia asked. Any odd physical symptoms, or intrusive thoughts, or strange dreams, or... No, Honor said immediately. It leapt from her mouth before she had a chance to think about it. Delphinia narrowed her eyes at her. All right, then. Change of topic. What do you think of Lady Trowling? Immediately, a surge of warmth and happiness flowed through Honor, washing away all her anger and conflicted feelings. Oh, she's lovely, she said, the words rising up out of her in a flood. She is so wise and beautiful and captivating and so friendly. She sat down with us at breakfast, just the younger girls, and spoke with us for hours. She was like the mother I never had. Delphinia's upsettingly pretty face went slack-jawed, her eyes wide. She made the sign of the tree, apparently by reflex. My God, she whispered. Her hands reached for her crucifix again, looked down at it with a kind of sickened amazement. Honor did not understand it. And what did she speak with you about? Delphinia asked, her tone careful. All sorts of things, Honor said eagerly. About marriage, and motherhood, and being a wife of godly virtue, and the things we should look for in a good husband, and the ways that a lady can bring honor to her house. If you ask her tomorrow, I'm sure she would be happy to tell you. Delphinia passed a hand over her face. She looked overwhelmed with sudden emotion. Honor wondered if maybe she was realizing how much she had missed by sneaking around on her silly mission. Eli, have mercy, Delphinia said at last. That is diabolical. Honor frowned, confused. What are you talking about? Delphinia took Honor's elbow in her own and began walking her deeper into the woods, away from the chalet. Come on, puppy, let's go for a walk. Delphinia was much taller than Honor and stronger than she looked. Ow! Delphinia, let go! What are you doing? I feel a sudden need for my dear roommate's company, Delphinia said, with forced cheer. Let's go up that hill, shall we? Away from this valley and the mysterious enchantments. She added under her breath and apparently to herself, The strength of the field must fall off exponentially. But then how do they ensure compliance? They must be anchoring it to the body somehow. Perhaps the crown Amala. Honor tried to hold her back, but her feet began to slide as Delphinia kept trudging deliberately uphill. She kept walking just to avoid falling on her bottom. I don't want to go on a walk with you, she protested. Lord Anselm is getting us snowshoes, and he is much better company. Is he now? Delphinia said. She quirked an eyebrow in Honor's direction. Was that Lady Drowling's idea as well? Did she introduce the two of you? No, it was my father, Honor said. He said Lord Drowling introduced them last night, and they had a long talk this morning. An ugly smile appeared on Delphinia's face. I am sure they did, she said, and shook her head in amazement. Good heavens! The counselors, too. No wonder Lord Tyrrell was so confident. 
What are you talking about? Honor demanded. Again. I shall explain later, Delphinia said. Come along. Didn't you hear me? Honor said. I don't want to. Now let me go. Lord Anselm is waiting for me. Delphinia let out an exasperated sound. She turned around, grabbed Honor with both hands, and, to Honor's consternation and horror, pulled her into a tight embrace. Honor let out a cry of shock and outrage at this sudden, unwanted intimacy. Delphinia was holding her so closely that Honor's face was pressed between her breasts. She could smell the perfumed oils in her hair. She tried to get her arms between them, to push Delphinia away, but the taller girl fussed with something around her own neck, and a heavy weight landed on the back of Honor's neck. There was a sudden, twisting sense of vertigo. Honor's heart raced, her head pounding as the blood rushed into it. Sudden terror seized her, like waking up out of a nightmare that she could only half remember. The crucifix on the back of her neck grew uncomfortably hot, even through her winter clothes. What is happening? she asked, her voice shaking along with her body. Delphinia held her tightly, her neck bent close to Honor's, so the chain of the crucifix was around them both. Your brain has just realized that someone was controlling it with magic, she said. It is responding as if you were attacked, which you were. Honor's brow broke out in a cold sweat. Uh, attacked, she stammered. No, I... Honor, think, Delphinia said. Her voice was gentler than before, almost pleading. Why did you come here? What was our mission? Honor tried to think. To... to find out how Cousin Tyrrell planned to stop the succession bill, she said. Because we wanted things to be fair, and for ladies to... She trailed off as the echoes of Lady Drowling's lessons ran through her mind. To be treated the same as men. Oh, good heavens, Delphinia! What better way to discredit the bill than to turn the counselors' own wives and daughters against it? Delphinia asked. Not that Lord Drowling hasn't been giving his own lessons to the gentlemen, I'm sure. Honor felt faint. She wrapped her arms tightly around Delphinia and leaned on her for support. Memories came rushing back to her of noticing the Arthana hidden against Lady Drowling's arm, of her whispering a spell in Honor's ear, of last night's dream, and Alex transforming into Anselm before her eyes, of the fear she had felt when she first came to this place, and the numbing blanket of peace that had settled over her when she entered Lady Drowling's sanctum. Enchanted, she thought with horror. I was enchanted. Oh, merciful heavens! Father, she whispered, her voice shaking. Delphinia, they've enchanted my father. There is nothing we can do for him here, Delphinia said, her voice soft and grim. We must find a way back to Metamor. The Majestrix must be warned about this, this outrage. Honor reached up and fingered the chain of the crucifix. Couldn't we put the crucifix around his neck and break the spell? <laughs> That's the problem, Delphinia sighed. The wards on the crucifix don't break the spell. They only hold it at bay. 
If I take it off, I will be just as vulnerable as you were. And the closer we are to their centre of power, the more difficult it will be to resist. Last night, inside the lodge, even with the crucifix on, I could feel the magic trying to claw its way inside me. She shuddered. Honor felt a twinge of sympathy for her. No wonder you were so out of sorts last night. But why didn't you say anything? Because I only just now pieced together what was happening, Delphinia said. Last night I knew something was wrong, but I couldn't tell what it was or where it was coming from. I am still only an apprentice. The Drowlings are master wizards, and air magic is the subtlest of the arts. One of the best for affecting the mind as well. Honor had put together something else now, and she didn't like the implications of it. So, if the crucifix suppresses the spell but doesn't break it, then that means I am still enchanted. How long will it last? I don't know, Delphinia said, and sounded deeply annoyed at the fact. It can't be a permanent change, not without an ongoing source of mana to power it, but the effects must linger for days at least, long enough to ensure that the councillors will vote down the succession bill. Days? Honor moaned. Oh, Delphinia, what can we do? We can't walk through the mountains like this. We cannot walk through the mountains regardless, Delphinia pointed out. We would die of exposure before we'd gone half the distance. But you are right. I am going to have to take it off of you before we can do anything. Please don't, Honor begged, the words coming out before she could stop herself. That person, that wasn't me. I can't go back to being that, that empty-headed little girl. So don't, Delphinia snapped. She took Honor's head in both hands and turned it to face her. With the short space of the chain holding them together, she had to press their foreheads together to look Honor in the eyes. Listen to me, puppy. Mind magic is powerful, but it can be resisted. You know what is happening to you now. That gives you an advantage. You can build a fortress in your mind to hold back the changes the spell is trying to force on you. But how? Honor asked, increasingly desperate. Delphinia, I am not a mage, not even an apprentice. How do I build a fortress in my mind? Delphinia made an exasperated sound. Oh, it isn't about magic, Honor. Your mind is your own. You don't need magic to defend it. Granted, it helps, but... She paused, her eyes going distant as she apparently struggled to put the idea into words. All right, think of it this way. Inside your mind, you have a picture of your truest self. This is the you that describes what you believe about yourself. Your ego, if you like. You need to hold that self-image steady in your mind. The spell will send you thoughts and ideas that run counter to that image. You need to watch for them, recognize them, without accepting them as part of yourself. They can make you think something, but they can't make you believe it. Not if you remember who you really are. If you see the thought for what it is and refuse to accept it, then it will fade. It will lose its power over you. Do you understand? Honor thought back to her conversation with her father, yesterday afternoon in his study, 
He had asked her what she thought about becoming his scion, and she'd been about to downplay her own abilities, until she recognized that those thoughts were not her own, but something that had been drilled into her by others. If Delphinia was telling the truth, then this enchantment was not so different, except that it had been placed on her over the course of a few hours, instead of a lifetime. I think so, she said. But if it's so easy, why can't we help my father? Couldn't we put the crucifix on him and tell him what you just told me? First, there is no time, Delphinia said, speaking quickly now. Your absence will shortly be noticed, and if the Drowlings realize the spells have failed, they may take more drastic action. We mustn't give them the chance. Second, it won't help. Old people's ways of thinking are deeply set. If they haven't learned introspection already, they aren't likely to start. Your father may shake off the spell, or he may not, but nothing we can say is likely to change it. Her lip quirked at one corner. And third, I never said it was easy. Just that you can do it. Honor had been about to argue with her on her second point, but she was distracted by this last. She felt her eyebrows go up. Was that a compliment, Lady Delphinia? Delphinia rolled her eyes. If it will boost your confidence and let us end this tedious conversation, then you may certainly take it as such. Now prepare yourself. I'm going to take the crucifix off of you. Let's see if you know who you are. And that's the end of Chapter 9. Come back next time when Natasha tells Captain Hansen what she's learned about Lord Tyrrell's plans. Chapters of the House of Bellevue will be released at a rate of one chapter per week for 51 weeks. If you'd like to listen to it faster, all three books are available now on Amazon and Audible. To learn more about these characters and their world, please visit www.authorlcwilliams.com. Akira Kurosawa said, To be an artist means never to avert one's eyes. So, let's focus in together on the weekly writing report. This update covers the week of November 19th through November 25th. I wrote 628 words this week, over the course of one hour, for an average writing speed of 628 words per hour. I wrote on two out of seven days this week. This week was the Thanksgiving holiday here in the U.S., so my wife Mel and I spent a lot of time either visiting with friends, cooking for our friends, or cleaning things up before and after visits by friends. This, incidentally, is why I don't participate in NaNoWriMo. Thanksgiving and its attendant gatherings are a big deal for us, and frankly, that's more important to me than hitting a daily word count. I did make a little bit of progress this week on All the World of Fire. Now that I know the direction I want to take this story, I needed to go back and make some adjustments to a few of the earlier chapters, tweaking a bit of the foreshadowing, adding some details, and removing others. I want to make sure that I don't give away the mysteries too early, so that the characters are led in the right direction, but the audience doesn't figure everything out way ahead of them. This week I also got the annual holiday cards for my Patreon subscribers, 
so I spent a good chunk of time addressing them and sending them out. By the time you're hearing this, hopefully everyone has gotten their cards, but if yours got lost in the mail or you forgot to update your address, you can still see the artwork on the Patreon feed. It's visible to all patrons at patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, send your feedback in text or audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension 255-082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash author Chris Lester. The fan group is fans of Metamore City on Facebook. And our Discord server is Metamore City. I'm there pretty often, so come say hi. If you like this show, please consider leaving a review at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podchaser.com. It really helps people find the show. That's all for this week. I'll be back next time with more fresh new fiction. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2022 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives license. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.